It's movie time. I'm a wizard of speed and time. The world of film is where I shine. I've got magic to let you see just where you were and want to be on imagination silver screen. I can help you find your What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's the Pop Czar Podcast. It's movie time podcast. That's right. Movie times. It's helping you find your dream, dream, dream. And for that, this is Nathan Evans, managing editor of PopSar.com. And in the back is my fellow wizard, Mr. Ethan Brem. Ethan, welcome back to movie time. Hey, thanks. Oh, goodness. I apologize if anybody sounds like a, if I sound like a 10-pack smoker, just getting over a sore throat, which sucks, Ethan, because I wanted to be crystal clear and lucid for this particular one. This one's been a long time coming, by the way. You and I talked about this. How the heck would we do this movie or these movies? It's tough. Um, I, I wanted to put it off, like maybe even like a final thing, but I couldn't do it anymore. I needed happiness in my life. And this movie makes me happy. And we haven't said the name of it yet, but we've hinted at it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Movie Time Podcast. Uh, it's where we talk about movies. We talk about this. We talk about that. It's the magic of cinema and all that. And Ethan, you are much more versed on this, so take it away. What movies are we talking about this episode? Yeah, today we're talking about two movies, both from 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, first, you got The Wizard of Speed and Time, uh, directed by Mike Jidlov, everything by Mike, Mike <laughs> That's true. And, uh, and then you got Killer Clowns from Outer Space, uh, the Chiodo Brothers classic. How many times have we talked about Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Uh, yeah, how many times podcast? have we talked about the Chiodo Brothers? Yeah, the Chiodos. Um, you know what's funny? I didn't realize until after we started pairing this, because you and I had uh, texted back and forth, like, do we want to do Wizard of Speed in Time by itself, or do we want to pair it? And we had talked about Killer Clowns so much, I thought, let's talk about something else. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized these movies actually had quite a bit in common. And not, like you said, not just because they're both from 1988, not because they're both scored by the same guy, John Masserari, and not because they're they're both special effects heavy things. There's some, I think there's something else at play here that I think we can talk about. Um, and with your permission, I think I might want to alter the format a little bit. Sure. So you and I usually talk about one movie, we talk it to death, then we start the second movie, we talk that to death, and we do our wrap up, which is cool. That's a very good format. And if you're listening, that's a great format that you should steal. But sometimes I don't think it's always appropriate. Um, this one I think is different. I think um, because you and I have never really talked about Wizard of Speed in time. I think it might be a movie more more near and dear to me simply for nostalgia. But I want to really get a perspective of someone who doesn't have any of that stuff. And that's why I'm, I'm almost curious what you think as someone who's only seen it. You probably didn't grow up with this movie. No, this is the first time. I, this is the first time I've seen this. This is this movie. Okay, first of all, can we just say the obvious? This movie is hard as hell to find. You can't buy it. You can't rent it. 
You can't download it legally. You, you can't even download it illegally. Good luck finding this thing off of YouTube because YouTube is pretty much the only way to get it. As an outsider, if I gushed about it, we'd be here all day. So tell me a little bit. Let's start with the Wizard of Speed and Time. Let's start with that. You heard that. You heard that cheerful. Uh, I can't talk. You heard that cheerful theme song. It's got a theme song. It's got a soundtrack. It's got songs with lyrics. But let's talk about it. So synopsize. <laughs> Before Superman, before Rambo, before Pee Wee Herman, there was the wizard of speed and time. An eccentric genius who created a motion picture legend in his own garage. Based upon the true life adventures of the world's most unknown filmmaker and blown up out of all proportion, this is the classic story of the little guy going up against the system, fighting corrupt and evil movie producers, overcoming unbelievable and ridiculous odds, all to win the heart of the girl he loves, and maybe the rest of her as well. Made on the same film stock as Roger Rabbit and Star Wars, filmed around the world in a special process that is technically unexplainable. You'll see electrifying special effects, laugh at mind-numbingly stupid jokes, and gasp in awe that we actually got big-name stars to be in this. You'll see dancing, romancing, financing, fencing, crowd scenes, chase scenes. This is the motion picture with everything. It's even got the kitchen sink. It's the kind of movie you would make if you didn't have anything better to do. Five years in the making, five days in the theaters. So see it while you can and tell your friends you've got to be off to see The Wizard. Speeding to a theater near you. Maybe even this one. Yeah, so uh, Wizard of Speed and Time is about a man who's very much passionate about special effects. In fact, his home, much in the way of Pee-wee's house in Pee-wee's Big Adventure with his gadgets and such. The was it what's his name? Just they just call him the Wizard. Yeah, they call him. Well, you know, it's the in the funny in the opening credits, he refers to himself as the Man in the Green. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good sign. Yeah, so the so the man in the green. Um, yeah, so his house. He lives uh, just uh, he and his mother, and his house is just overrun by little special effects, um, so to speak. And 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 it's hinted that this guy's got you know some supernatural powers. He can kind of read minds if he or you know see into the past. I guess read minds if he touches you in any way. Um, so it's not really clearly stated if this guy is if all the things in this guy's house are literal like practical effects or if he's using some sort of magic or something and it's it's very it's intentionally unclear um which is kind of cool yeah it's uh let's just say this unknown power allows him to modify things electrocute people uh project bdsm uh bdsm moments fly through the sky and yeah and survive underwater He's basically yeah. a superhero. 
Yeah, and I and I guess they're like uh like subliminal messages throughout, and 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 it felt like there were, but I wasn't sure until I did some research afterwards. But I guess like with the lights and some patterns and stuff in the movie, there's some subliminal. I don't know what it says, but um, yeah. Well, you know what's funny though? Like we live in an age of spoils. We live in an age when every movie that has ever been made that survived like the '30s has its own DVD, Blu-ray. You can you can go through it frame by frame. You know, people discovered sex. You know, sex pictures and Disney films, but this movie have. If there's ever been something where you need to freeze frame it for literally frame, you can't do it because everything looks blurry because it's only available on YouTube. Yeah, and there's such like a market for people to just like dissect this that I think hasn't even happened yet. Well, it's such a shame because, when you, like you said, you do the research, and 99% of all the information about this movie online is from the composer, John Masari, making videos about it, about, uh, the, about the soundtrack on vinyl. Yeah. And, of course, John Masari also did the soundtrack for, or not the sound, so much the soundtrack, the score for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, uh, fantastic, by the way. Yeah, I have it fantastic. on vinyl, and it's really, really good. It's very uh, circus-themed. Um, that movie's got like obviously it's about killer clowns and uh, <laughs> the movie title uh, tells got, you what like, it is. <laughs> yeah. Calliopes in the back, you know those like little pipe pipe organ things. Um, it's a fun, really fun score. And again, you know you have John Masari doing videos about the vinyl Killer Clowns release, yeah. but he's also doing he also did videos about the about the the Wizard of Speed and Time vinyl release. It's a nice big green disc, but for some reason. For some reason, I want to get into it. Like, this movie has absolutely no footprint online. It has no huge fan base. It has nothing. Nothing. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Like, if somebody, if somebody's in the background of a Katy Perry video, that person has a fan club, right? But mm-hmm. this particular movie made by a special effects genius, like, let's just say he's a genius, one of the most creative people to come out of Disney back in the 70s. He, there were multiple, multiple articles about this man. There were multiple shows about him. He was legendary for the skit that, um, the short that inspired this film. Um, he's been interviewed on TV, but something happened after 1988 or so, gone. Like, I know he, he showed up for what? He, he worked on the movie, this is Mike Jitloff. He worked on the movie Ghost. Uh, was that Best Picture? Was um... Ghost Best Picture? It was the number one. I think it was number one at the box office that year. Yeah. Uh, one of his best picture. Um, ironically, also directed by one of the guys who did Airplane and Naked Gun. Um, you know, one of the Zuckers. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the yeah. way, this movie feels like a Zucker film in many, many, many it, places. It really does. Um, I do love Ghost, and I love the Zuckers. Um, and those things, I think, are mutually exclusive, other than the fact that Zucker is on both of them. But they're both completely different movies. Um, styles, uh, I should say. Um, but... Yeah, there's something about the Wizard of Speed and Time that uh, it, it. And honestly, I don't even know if I'd want to watch this on Blu-ray. Like, it, I love watching <laughs> it on like VHS quality. I don't know about you. Uh, that's well, that's the only place I've ever seen it. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd want to like. See, I mean, I do want to see what it looks like, but I think I would still prefer to watch it on a VHS, like super grainy um, film. Yeah, well, it's pretty awesome. I mean, my background, I mean, first of all, you mentioned, before we get into it, you mentioned uh, big, uh, Pee-wee Herman's uh, big, you know, of course, we, we've talked about Pee-wee's Big Adventure on here. Uh, we both love that mm-hmm. film to death. This movie feels like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, for the most part. Yeah, low fi, like a lo-fi version. Or yeah. I even thought about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids a little bit. Well, I mean, they, they both have bicycles, by the way. Um, although one bicycle electrocutes, and the other one uh, projects. But, you know, it's funny... 
there's so little information about Mike Jitloff online. There's so little information. But what we can get from him, uh, very much like Tim Burton, like Don Bluth, you know, like a few other people, mm -hmm. he's from that Disney machine back in the 70s. And for some, and for whatever reason, he made a splash, left Disney. And can I ask you a question? I don't know if this is too broad a statement, but has there ever been a more like hopelessly optimistic look, like a movie that's so hope, hopelessly optimistic look at special effects in a movie so cynical? Yeah, I, I know. Like on one hand, you can say, wow, this is like a guy, you know, I, I mean, it's on the surface it's a vanity project right but mm -hmm. you can say okay this is a guy you know living out his dreams to this movie you know kind of almost uh like in a schmaltzy way i guess but on the other hand you can say wow this guy's like like hates the industry and it comes that comes through oh through this movie too like you can see both of those uh and i think it's a fun little uh balancing act that he does i don't know if it's always successful balancing and i i'm not no, gonna yeah yeah i'm like i i I don't know if I want to say I love this movie, but part of me loves it. How is this? Yeah, part yeah. of me loves part of this movie. Can I say that? Yeah. It, it's more for me. It was like I uh, I watched it and it was over, and obviously I had some criticisms of it. But at the same time, I'm like, this might be like one of the most memorable things I've ever seen, and I kind of want to love it more than I do. And because of that, I do yeah. love it more than I do. And I, like I said, I think part of it is nostalgia, even. The, Here's the thing. Have you ever like heard a really good song? Like you grew up listening to a song you really liked, and then it wasn't until like years and years and years later that you found out that band had other great songs. <laughs> yeah, like, definitely. You know, it's like wow, Foreigner had more than one. But <laughs> no, but yeah. it's but it's crazy, and it's sort of like uh, you go down that rabbit hole. Like for example, we're going to talk about the Chiodos. I don't know if we call them the Chiodo brothers anymore, the Chiodo cousins, the Chiodos. I don't know what the hell they're going by these days. But the yeah. Chiodos who who directed. Uh, killer clowns from outer space have footprints and so many connecting tissues with the oh my goodness. time it's oh it's, well it's kind of madness actually i'll give you one right now so i was watching i watched i've seen killer clowns before um but i hadn't seen it in a while and but mm -hmm. so to prep for this podcast i watched the wizard of speed and time first mm -hmm. um one of the first things i noticed probably about 10 minutes in was how much this movie reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen it, the Alex Winter movie from 1993 called Freaked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen um, Freaked. And it reminded me of that. I'm like, I, knowing Alex Winter's taste in film, I guarantee he was at least aware of this movie and probably was really into it. And, that, and it may have played a part in Freaked. Now, I was looking up some stuff about the Chiodos after, and they worked on Freaked, which is wild to me. So, I mean, just that right there, mm -hmm. the, the A to B to C was incredible. Well, you know, we, we, again, we mentioned uh, Pee-wee's Pee Big Adventure. You know, the Chiodos worked on that, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's Chiodos. true. Uh, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. The scene, by the way, the most famous scene in that movie, yep. the Large Marge scene. The Large Marge, yeah. Yeah, they also worked on your favorite film, The Stupids. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. And Alex Winter was in my other favorite movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent oh. Adventures. There you go. Shall, shall we also just say, because we can, this is this is the only time in the history of film you're ever going to hear this comparison. But the men who made Killer Clowns from Outer Space are also helped create the Academy Award-nominated Best Animated Picture, Marcel the Seashell with his shoes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's a. Did you see that? That's really. It's really uh, good. Everybody in my house saw that except for me because I was sick oh, and watching it. It's it's on my list. I have a copy. Yeah, I, I want to see it's it. Good. Yeah, everybody loves you, it. You're gonna like. You're gonna like it. I, I know you're gonna like it. Oh, I'm a big. I'm a big fan of everybody involved. Uh, but anyway, but going back to it though. So, uh, but the biggest thing I want to talk about is both the Chiodos and Mike Jitloff. They're both special effects people. 
like and they're both like and forgive me for saying this they're both low-end special effects people and they're both very spe- like uh, as much as the the chiodas have worked on stuff they still are very they've only directed one thing they've right, only exactly. written this one thing it's strange I think they worked with Favreau on um, animated an Elf, animated movie. Yeah. No, after that, um, like oh, a really? couple, couple years ago. Yeah, because oh, I, that uh, Alien Christmas. Yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It was they, like a short. It was a short film. They did my favorite scene in Elf. They did the the narwhal. Yeah, yeah, the Rankin Bass. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Really good. You know, and of course RoboCop. They did the the dinosaurs in RoboCop. Right. Yep, they're yep. fantastic. Like they look. Their special effects look like what they are. They don't look photoreal. I don't want them to look photoreal. I don't want them to look to anything. But going back to going back to Wizard of Speed and Time, there's a couple of scenes. Like again, there there are parts of me that love parts of this movie dearly. Like dearly. Like if you were to, you know, you know, hold me hostage and say, What's a top ten list of your favorite movie moments of all time? I would actually point the actual film inside this film, which is you know mm-hmm. the the you know the marquee where you know the um the short film they produ- he produces for the producers at the end that they yeah. at the end right which i think is a recreation of the original short film that yeah, he made yeah it is yeah, yeah so I, I guess we can get in a second but that particular moment to me is one of the most joyful pieces of cinema i have ever seen ever and i think yeah. it's because part of me always wanted to you know part of me is from that disney era of the 19 you know the late 70s 80s when disney still meant something that it doesn't mean anymore and we can get into that in a minute, but there's something about having an animator or a creator, a special effects person who knows what they're doing better than anybody else in the room, and you can see it. Like, I guess let me get it out of the way. We could talk about it. Have you seen the new Ant Man and the Quantum Mania? I have not seen it yet. No. Yeah, we saw we saw it last weekend. Um, reviews coming on the site from somebody I won't say who, but it's got a lot of criticism for its special effects. Um, there have yeah. been there have actually been a few articles written about how you know this is becoming a trend. I don't know if it's true or not. You know the Disney's um, when they employ the the special effect houses, the animation studios, that they overwork them, that they are underpaid, all this stuff. But you get the impression that you know essentially what they're doing is they're basically creating like a McDonald's cottage industry where you just purchase the special effects you want. They're not necessarily tailored. I know they use some new techniques. Um, I don't know if you follow it or not. But apparently Disney and and all they use this new technique. I forget what it's called. Oh goodness, um, the vision. I think it's called. Okay. Where it's replacing green screens with this new oh, like area. I, I of know LEDs. what you're talking about. Like, yeah. I think it was uh, Robert Rodriguez or something was championing championing it. Um, it's basically like they recreate. You basically don't even have to be anywhere anymore. Yeah, because exactly. You're in this room that looks exactly like the area. Yeah, I know what you're talking right. about. Right, and it, and they've been. I think the first major production was like The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Yeah. Yeah. But you look at this and I have to, on one hand you're like these these quote unquote you can't see my fingers but special effects they're they're CG but there's there's like this increasing disconnect I think from what we see with the live action and and what we call special effects and I think you and I've talked about this before with Harry House and we talked about this before about practical effects like Phil Tippett and I'll put I'll put old Tim Burton and I'll put the Chiodos and I'll put Mike Jiklov on here there's something when you see tangible effects made by someone who understands the craft like on both sides of the camera both the directing and the editing and whatever and even though these effects are you know primitive and even though that you know you uh, a high school kid could probably recreate them with less than you know with paper mache i don't know there's just something about them that makes me feel better looking at them if if that makes any sense Oh yeah, it's a, it's personal. It feels like a, somebody tangibly worked on this with their hands. Yeah, and I think 
we're going to see it turn around. And we kind of saw that a little bit with the Puss in Boots movie and Bad Guys. DreamWorks, I think, is really kind of moving in the direction of, I mean, this is animation, right? Yeah. Live action, I think, still maybe has somewhere to go. But I, I think, I mean, look, when Walt Disney died in 66, you know, it took over two decades for uh, animation to kind of, like, correct itself. And it took a movie, which is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is animated and live action to kind of like kickstart it. And then you had a little mermaid and beauty and beast and stuff. I mean, we, the nineties, I think the, the peak of practical effects was probably, and also like the beginning of um, CGI and not the beginning of CGI, but the beginning of, um, you know, believing the credence of CGI. It was Jurassic Park, right? 1993. And yeah. I think you can see that was 30 years ago now. Oh goodness. Um, which is incredible, but also it's like, okay, are we going to see things return to form? Is that form even desirable by the people who are making it? Are is It's definitely desirable by, I think, the people watching it everywhere I hear. The effects suck on this, effects suck on that. But, I mean, you watch Avatar, and it's like, that was fantastic. If you're going to do that, sure, do it. You if know, you're not going to, then don't bother. Like, give us something fun. Give us something cool. I think for the masses, the populist stuff, like Ant-Man or whatever, Spider-Man, I think that the consensus by the studio is probably people don't care, and they're going to watch it anyway. I do think... They'll complain about it, but they'll come back next time. <laughs> well, well, people complain about everything. You know that, right? If yeah, you, yeah, exactly. If, if exactly. You, if you gave me... still come back, right? Yeah, exactly. If you gave me a million dollars, I would complain that it's not two million. Like, it, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. It doesn't matter how high or how low the bar is. I will Somebody still will watch Ant-Man. I still watch yeah. Black Panther. I still, I'll still watch all of the next movies, even if someone says... The worst effects I'll ever see, I'll watch it anyway because it's Marvel. And at the end of the day, the story is exactly. usually not affected by bad special effects. The verisimilitude might be, like your <laughs> believability of that word of that world might be, but not necessarily – you can still love a movie that has bad special effects, I think. Well, you know, it's funny. We mentioned him a couple times, but I want to mention James Cameron here as a good counterpoint to someone like Mike Jitloff. You know, they basically are the same person. If you think about it, they both come yeah. out. Of, they both come out of the seventies. They both come out of hyper, you know, hyper um, realized like self, mm-hmm. like self indulgence. Like you, you mentioned about Jitloff, he wrote, directed, he helped score, he sang, he edited, he did everything in this film. He's in the movie more than anything else. You have someone like Cameron who takes control. Like Cameron is someone who comes on a film, does the storyboards, does the character creations, does the directing, does the editing. You know what I mean? Does yeah, he's like Zack yeah. Snyder or someone yeah. like that too. Kind of does that, yeah. But with with someone like Cameron, uh, you have who's become. I mean, this sounds weird to say, but he may be the most successfully commercial filmmaker of all time, even more so than yeah. Spielberg. You know, which is strange to say, but you have someone like that, and he's the most successful person in the history of Hollywood who comes from special effects, right? Yeah, he's and, an auteur still. Exactly. Yeah, big he's, budget. He's a big budget auteur. But you hear the stories. He's rough. He's he's rude. He's insolvent. He's all this stuff. And yet he delivers every time. It's it's kind of freaky. And then yeah. you have someone like Jitloff who made Wizard of Speed in Time, and it was, it's been forgotten for the most part. And it's it's almost tragic that you have you know there's there's a scene in in Wizard of Speed in Time where he talks about it. he talks about giving up and maybe just delivering pizzas, and you know he yeah. dro- and he drops the puzzle pieces on the floor and the puzzle pieces form a pizza puzzle and I thought to myself how long did it take him to make that? <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what the, 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 he alludes to that a few times like okay you know only a thousand more sh- uh, shots like that and then we have a minute of film or whatever it was. 
Yeah, I, um, I think if he had made more movies, say he had a catalog of like five, six movies even, mm-hmm. um, maybe, I mean, he, even more or less, like around there, um, I think we would be viewing him in a uh, more permanent well, light and his legacy would be more solidified, I think. Like a Nick Zed or somebody, I'm thinking like people who did like tr- maybe the transgressive movement, movement guys who are doing like zero budget movies, but like now people are talking about them. Well, you know, coming out of this, you know, this is the same error that gave us um, Sam Raimi. You know, this is the same error mm, yeah. that would give us Peter Jackson. You know, I guarantee you Peter Jackson has a copy of this movie on his shelf. I guarantee you. I promise you Peter Jackson has a copy of this movie right next to Brain Dead on his yeah. VHS library. But here's the cynical part, though. I don't know if Mike Jitloff would have ever made another movie. And I'll tell you why. Um you remember, have you seen the special effect featurettes with Phil Tippett when Jurassic Park was being made? And Phil Tippett had created like um, a yeah. new version of stop motion for the Jurassic Park, you know, marionettes. I forget what he called it. It was like an improved version of Harryhausen it, where it smoothed things out a little bit more than you'd see in like Robocop. And they look really good, by the way. They do. But they don't look like the Jurassic Park that we know. And, you know, when when... I, I encourage everybody listening to this to, to go out and actually see the story. I know there's a great Netflix documentary, like you know the um, what was that movie series we talked about? We've we've actually had the people on this podcast before. Oh my goodness, this um, the movie series. Uh, what was it called? Oh my goodness, um, the movies that made us. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had the, we've had um, what's his name, Mike. Uh, yeah, we've had yeah, we've had the toy version um, on this podcast many Toys times. That's a yes. great one. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I encourage you. But the the Jurassic Park version is fantastic because it shows a lot of the behind the scenes footage. And Phil Tippett very famously said, "I'm extinct," because he yeah. knew that what he was doing was not going to be mainstream anymore. And and I think in a way that Toy Story and Bugs Life and all of that made traditional two D animated Disney films, not obsolete, but secondary. It's not that they wouldn't be produced, but they would no longer hold the sway with the mainstream the way that CG does, for better or for worse. And I think you'd agree. I think Phil, but Phil Tippett remained and he eventually would embrace CG and he would embrace it in a way that I think has been revolutionary. Like, uh, you know, he would also work on um, Starship Troopers, you know, and he would integrate CG with models and all this. And I think, I don't know what you think, but I think his effects hold up very good like very well yeah i agree and also um you can see i don't know if you saw mad god from this past year i again uh, i've seen i've seen parts of it it's it pains it's, me to see i uh, goodness i wanted to see it on a big screen one of the, it's one of the most obtuse movies i've ever seen <laughs> in my life but uh the effects and if you can get through it uh and like you know there's no there's literally like no talking at all in it pretty much cool. um but but the effects of it are incredible, and and you even look at Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, same thing. Like the two of the best uh, um, stop motion I've ever seen in my life came from this past year, and and it, that's not even including Marcel the Shell. Mm-hmm. I mean those just those uh, Pinocchio and Mad God, and um, I mean and you they have to use some sort of computers for that, right? Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. they mer- it's like a hybrid. It's it's practical and computers at the same time uh, what was his name i want to get using henry Selick also had a stop motion last year on netflix with uh, wendell and wild which oh i didn't get to see that one yeah yeah which i've heard is not his best but i mean you do have you know you do have this huge return of stop motion animation that people i think have a better appreciation now and i think part of that 
Um, I would say The Ambassador has always been The Nightmare Before Christmas because mm-hmm. that's a movie that came out, was not really well regarded you know, on the day it came out, but has since become a phenomenon. It's one of those films that's grown in stature. You mean Tim Burton's Nightmare Before <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying to correct the record here. but it um, was, yeah, di- yeah, he left Disney. I think he was upset with Disney when he left, and then he end- they made amends rather quickly, and then they, they did that. And I now think. he's nothing but Disney for the most part. And now he's, yeah, now he's yeah. doing Dumbo remakes yeah. like well, I mean, 70, 80 years later. Did he, did he direct the um, the Wednesday show at all? Did he have, I know he had, uh, his, He was his the showrunner. I don't know if he directed, I don't think he directed any of the episodes. He was definitely the showrunner, which is well, a pretty big deal, um, but... Wow, Tim Burton, man. Like, Tim Burton, if you yeah, go back and watch... He was watch, incredible, though. He was an I animator, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he didn't direct Nightmare for Christmas, either. He, he, did, just, he did not. The Wednesday show was really good. Um, one of the best TV shows I've seen in a while. Well, it's got and, the dance. Uh, it's got the dance, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's got, got the, the dance. Yeah. But, um, my goodness. Um, but, you know, you go back and watch old Tim Burton stuff, and you can feel that aliveness that you feel like in something like the wizard you have the stop motion you have the creativity you have someone and you look at tim burton stuff now though and it is so soulless it is it is just void of anything that made his stuff interesting and it's it's sad it's actually quite sad to watch because i don't think tim burton was able to make the transition from traditional special effects to cg special effects and and you know what hurts even more than that you mentioned pinocchio but you didn't mention the other pinocchio you know, you, um, yeah, the Robert. About Smekis, oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, the Paulie Shore one. No, talk about sterile, <laughs> and like that's another guy right there who could not make the transition from traditional effects to CG yeah, effects. Both, both Disney darlings at one point, and now back for more. Well, and going back to um, Jitloff and Wizard of Speed and Time, the reason I I'm actually, you know how they say fate. Fate is what it is, right? Like, what if? Mm-hmm. We, we like to say, what if Beethoven had lived? What if Shakespeare had written more? But I don't think fate would allow Mike Jitloff to make more than one film. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. I, I mentioned it was joyfully special effects. But hear, hear me out. By 1988, by 88, these type of effects were on their way out. Let's be honest. They just mm-hmm. they were on their way out. In fact, most of the effects you see in this movie, Ethan, are like 10 years old. They're, yeah. they're recycled from you know the recycled from home movies from the 70s oh yeah i i i was thinking uh, when i was watching i was like what was this like 82 or something and i looked i was like 88 wow i mean it's crazy it's only six year difference but you know a, a lot changed in the 80s in terms of effects i mean you look at beetlejuice and what he was doing with those kind of uh, effects or even i mean we keep going by tim burton but you know uh, um heck what even um well tim burton i mean i think it's fair to say tim burton because in, in for those who are too young to remember tim burton wasn't was a i don't know genius or ingenue i don't know what word you'd use but something about tim burton in the 1980s was unstoppable like he was awesome i mean this is the yeah, man who yeah he went from it's unfathomable to think of a filmmaker like that in the in today's terms i think i because things are so fleeting now but back then you're sitting with these movies for so long and you know it was three years between peewee and beetlejuice for his first and second movies um why well, he was such a hype there well i always thought his nadir i always thought his the best thing he's ever done i'll be honest and maybe i'm a little selfish was batman returns it's my oh, favorite that, yeah, yeah batman returns First and, one's first one's is so off if you compare it to every superhero I mean, movie ever, but um, it was immensely popular. This so. is, well, that was that was when Tim Burton still had sway to do what he wanted, and I think I think that was his last gasp at having that sort of dominatrix style, you know, 
goth inspired, you know, yeah. but goth inspired family friendly entertainment. I don't know what else you'd call it. <laughs> yeah, selling toys at McDonald's for this oh, goth goodness. movie. But you know what, though? When the Flash trailer came out last week and people saw Michael Keaton's Batman, they lost their poop. They they yeah. want they want to see more of that. I don't know. It's if, gonna be pretty. Cool. We'll see. But um, yeah. but yeah, I but as as talented as he was as a special effects person, I think you have the combination of the fact like he, he seems spent. Like he seems like what else can you do? Like people want to see a narrative. They want to see a film. And for all intents and purposes, The Wizard of Speed and Time really doesn't have a story. It's it's basically an amalgamation of like how did I make like how did I make this movie and it's you know a fictionalized version of him making like these special effects but it requires a level of cynicism and like like just dripping apathy for Hollywood like I I don't know how else to explain it like it's it's not kind to the Hollywood yeah scene. The, yeah the the premise uh, everything it does with the premise I think is familiar I mean you even see it like a little bit UHF we talked about that mm-hmm. like there's some similarities there but yeah i mean it it is at its at this movie's worst it's almost too i hate to say but agenda driven (laughs) like it's too um uh angry i think it's very it's 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 extremely angry the first i'd say the first act mostly but um it gets it gets better after that but well you know there's that scene when he's riding down hollywood and that cheerful music starts playing with the the chorus you know it sounds like a disney song like it, it sounds like I'm going to Hollywood. It sounds like the electric parade. He like, yeah. one of the tunes like rips off the electric the uh, Main Street electric parade from Disneyland. But but hear but hear me out though. But when he but if you listen to the lyrics, it's all dripping about selling your soul. It's all about this. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like I I, I don't want to like get a takedown or anything. But no, if you actually yeah. listen to the lyrics, by the way, very hard to find that song because it's not available on digital. But I will say this. Yeah. But no, it's, it's dripping in cynicism. There's you know those blistering attacks against unions, which are probably well earned. Yeah. I, oh, I wrote I wrote that too. It's like almost anti-union. I mean, uh, it is almost, anti-union. Almost. <laughs> yeah. uh, the thing the thing that I think is the most subtle. There's a lot of indictments on Hollywood in this entire movie. The whole movie is an indictment, I think, on Hollywood. But the most subtle thing, and I think the best aspect of it. I don't even know if it's that subtle. But the um, what's the one producer? Who's like getting? Who just wants him to fail? That's, that's the, his real producer, by the way. That's the real producer oh, really? of that's the film. Awesome. So, so yeah. this guy's literally betting, literally betting that Jitloff is going to fail, despite having his name on the finished product. It's not about his pride of making a good movie and his name being on this successful thing. He just wants this guy to fail because I don't know. He he's wants to win a bet. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. that is the most – I mean that that plot point isn't subtle, but the nuance behind it I think is more subtle than it lends. You know, I've, I read a rumor that the, the producer – ironically, the real producer and the fake one, uh, his name is Richard Kay. In real life, he may have actually screwed Mike Jitlop out of profits for this film. Like, Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to substantiate that. So if I'm wrong, like, wow. not, yeah, even, yeah. not even IMDB message boards have been helpful. It's like I said. It's memory. This movie's been so memory hold. It's so strange. Yeah, it is weird. And I guess there've been people trying to plead to him just to. I mean, it's hard to get Blu-ray deals now, but there's a lot of boutique firms out there who I think would be more than happy. Where's Shout Factory? Shout Factory, come on. Exactly. Like you even have like Arrow. You have. Yeah. You know. 
one of those like UK ones. Um, we'll get we'll get vinegar though, syndrome. The only one who seems interested is John Massari, who by the way is an actor in this movie too. By the way, can we just say yeah. this? He's he's the best friend with a mullet who works at the pizza shop making the <laughs> yeah. music, and apparently he's still friends with Jitloff. They still make a couple of videos together, and Jitloff looks like he's like Christopher Lloyd. He looks like he, he looks, <laughs> I thought that too. Actually, whew. in fact, there's even a there's even a video of him uh, talking with uh, Master Right Away. He's like Great Scott or something. Like I think he knows what yeah. he looks like. But that's funny. But I, I yeah, guess he, yeah, it's really well, yeah. No, the uh, the Disney connection too is funny. I mean, I yes. couldn't tell if he was if it was like anti Disney or if he was just kind of putting in funny things or well i gotta tell you i was thinking about that so for those who don't know this these films actually came out of the disney machine like he was jitloff was an animator um he was contracted to work on the wonderful world of disney like literally a special effects segment and he created a stop motion piece with mickey mouse and if you have you seen that have you seen it i put a link in no it was for the 50th anniversary of mickey right yeah or whatever. And what he did, um, this is so funny because, you know, union union laws would not allow them to have like credits. He would spell his co-director's name inside the film in stop motion. So you couldn't take it out. And they they allude to that in The Wizard of Speed and Time with the lip syncing. You know, they have the whole thing like, oh, if you film someone lip syncing, you can't take it out. You can't replace it. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's insider baseball stuff, of course, but they keep, you know, obviously he wants you to know that he knows. And I think that's like sort of the subtext of the cynicism that's laced throughout this movie. You know, it's like and, it's, and, and there's a lot of like intentionally overdubbed stuff where characters are mouthing their lines and then you can tell their ADR after. Yes. Um, which is great. It's a cool. It's actually a really nice aesthetic. I, well, uh, I was enjoying I, that. I was going to ask you a question. So for those who don't know, uh, Ethan has a background in music production. So you understand how dubbing works. You understand all that stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um I get the I get the um, I get the assumption that there's not a frame of this film that wasn't intentional, uh, whether you know whether to be a special effect or whether to 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 like hide some sort of message. But like, can we just say that what makes this podcast very hard is that you can't see the film we're talking about. If I just showed you a clip, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have characters like it'll jump skip, like frames will skip when they want to speed something up. They'll slow down. Characters' glasses will go, you know, they'll start flashing. You'll see electrical lights. Um, He'll do reverse motion when he's throwing things at walls or he's catching things. Um, Things jump off walls. (laughs) Like, it's... It's so subtle, like, though. Like, gratuitously, too. It's not even, like, it doesn't add anything. No, exactly. Visual aesthetics. And it's nice, too. It's it's an artistic choice that I'm into, but... But it's, yeah. a, it's, a, visual, it's a visual medium, though. Like, this film... Uh-huh. Like, this is a very low-budget movie. Let's just say... This is a, but it doesn't always feel low-budget. And the effects showcase, which are the short films that he makes, obviously look like special effects. There's dancing tripods. There's cameras. There's monsters. He's going into space. You know, he's meeting, you know, sex women from Mars. Like, all kinds of weird stuff is happening. But there's so many little tiny effects sprinkled in the real movie. Like, like you, you mentioned magic. It's clearly not magic. But in this movie, like, at one point he looks at the woman. He's like, it's a special effect. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah. what does that mean? Um, I mean, the only thing I could say, oh, the only thing I could say close to it would be, like, magical realism. Like mm-hmm. you just you just buy it because you're watching a film, but it's I don't know, but there's something about it that intrigues me. There's something about it that I find really endearing, even though 
Mike Jidloff, like when he looks at the camera, he kind of looks like a serial killer sometimes. Like yeah. when he smile when he smiles and he starts dancing. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you. I don't know what you feel yeah. about that. Yeah, my 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 uh, the first like five ten minutes where it's just kind of like nonstop frenetic yeah uh, pacing. Love that stuff. I was laughing. I was just totally eating that up. I could have gone for like a whole a whole hour of that. Um, it might have gotten exhausting, but I loved it. Uh, the I I think that the movie that part of the movie I think is the most original aspect of it, and then you get into like the more formula quote-unquote formula based stuff and then it kind of slows down and then kind of uh i don't say loses its way but it definitely takes on a more familiar as uh, a familiar style and then it kind of closes out with the the movie playing on tv and then getting interrupted by the presidential yeah. speech um Oh, during the climax, yeah. the climatic moment. Yeah, when, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like interrupting the guy. I thought that was a, a really cool touch. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's hard to cri- uh, critique both of the movies where we're talking about killer clowns yeah. and speed. I think it's almost hard to critique either of them because both ta- kind of tap into familiar tropes, but then like essentially kind of pervert them. Well, um, like, yeah. well, let's go back into killer clowns for a minute, though, because. Um, We've talked about this before, but Killer Clowns is a horror movie that's funny. Yeah, and it's, it's but it's, it's but almost it's, never terrifying. But but when you think about it, like again, if you look at if you look at Wizard of Speed and Time, it looks like a happy, fun, joyful songs are fun. It's Disney esque, but then when you strip away, it's terrifying. And yeah. same with Killer Clowns. I mean, you literally have a movie about clowns from outer space that kill you by doing clown things, so they can turn you into mush and drink you through a sippy straw. Like yeah. that's that sounds terrifying, um, and every once in a while the movie will reveal itself that these clowns are terrifying, but at the same point they're kind of fun. It was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Did you see that? Something different. Star shooting star. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? <laughs> They've been knocking them dead all over the universe. What are you gonna do? Knock my block off? <laughs> <laughs> Soon they'll be doing it at a theater near you. Killer clowns from outer space. Just cruising through the galaxy and stopped here for a bite to eat. You don't need a police bell, you need a psychiatrist. Uh-oh. They wanna play games? They're messing with the wrong guy. 
What are you in for? Killer clowns from outer space. It's crazy. Like, if I have to go, I would like to go, you know, being turned into cotton candy, <laughs> being liquefied, and then being drunken up through a, through a sippy straw. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, turned into cotton. Or I wouldn't want to go the uh, hit in the face by a pie with an oh. acid, acid <laughs> whipped cream, though. But. You mean, yeah, you mean dissolved into a pie with a cherry on top. Yeah. But, but here's the thing, though. Um, if you look at Killer Clowns from Outer Space, again, low-budget movie. Let's just say this, low-budget. Special effects are hand are hand carved. You know they have. You know you have. What do you have? Puppets. You have stop motion. You have matte painting. Costumes. Costumes. But so I was. I finally had a chance to watch the movie with commentary. By the way, it is really hard to find a copy of Killer Clowns from Outer Space with commentary. Yeah. Um, Like for some reason, the DVD, the Blu-ray copy on Amazon is selling for like a hundred dollars. Jesus. And that has all the special effects on it. I mean, the special, the special features on it. <laughs> special. It say, also has the special effects. But. Yeah. Apparently, the Chiodos talk about there's actually on the features, you can actually see like uh, pictures of the clowns without their clothes on. Woohoo. So, <laughs> but, um, but the thing about it, everything I said about um, everything we talked about how obscure Wizard of Speed and Time is, is not true for Killer Clowns. This movie is back in the mainstream. They're oh, yeah. Making, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's. Um, it's a cult. It's a cult classic that's so popular now that it's almost. It's basically a mainstream movie from the eighties. I don't know what the popularity of it was like back then. Like, what were people? Did, it, were people aware of this? What was the ubiquity like well, back then? Well, here's the fun part. Uh, you and I talked about how much we love stuff like Return of the Living Dead or Night of the Creeps. You know, all those oh, yeah. that that big swatch of eighties horror comedy that came out. The Blob. The, the Blob. The remake. Yeah, even hell, even Evil Dead. Right, Evil Dead. Too, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And because yeah. what you do is you have these essentially they're Gonzo filmmakers who were able to pair like low budget, audacious filmmaking with you know practical effects but high concept. And you don't have that anymore. Like you have occasionally you'll see like something. But can I be honest with you? I I know people on this website love Terrifier or Terrifier Two, and it's okay. Or uh, what's the one that came out? Megan, the dancing doll. Yeah. Like you have Megan the dancing uh, the AI doll. It's basically a girl with a mask. But, yeah. but it's high concept. It's basically it's do you remember when they remade Child's Play mm-hmm. um, with Mark Hamill? It's the same story. They turned him from a demonic doll into an AI. And guess what? Nobody liked it. But you have the old plastic doll again and people go crazy for it. So there's something to be said about concept, but it has to match like execution. And I think when you look at that, those 80s films, like, again, all the ones we just mentioned, um, for, I'll even put, like, Freddy Krueger in there, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, or, like, House. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one, yeah. You know what? I like House 2. I don't care what anybody says. I like House 2. House 2 is insane. The, the Zombie grandpa. Yeah. Hanging out. <laughs> well, he's got that, you know, he's got that voice. Like, oh, I'm a granddad. You know, I'm a drunk granddad from a zombie. But, but there's something about it. Like, even though they don't, visually hold up can i just say that they don't they don't look high high tech but the concept is there the execution's there and the love is there and i think if you have love it's kind of like watching a friend's home movie like he's your friend or she's your friend and you're willing to look past all its imperfections because you know it was made for you it was yours and i think when you watch a high budget version or you watch something mainstream it's got all that cool stuff sanded off you're what is it somebody was saying like you're never going to see like uh, what was it? Um, you're never going to see 
uh, a Superman movie that looks like The Boys. You know, you're never going to see yeah. a Marvel movie, you know, that, that goes to where, like, some of the DC stuff goes. You're never going to see it. Yeah. It's not going to happen, you know. <laughs> and I think there was a little controversy about that, actually, a couple of weeks ago with the Blade movie. Um, I think it was Ethan, not Ethan Hawke. Who was in the Blade movie? Goodness. The original one? Yeah. Uh, what was his name? Wesley Snipes? Well, that's my point, but I think it was Stephen Dorff. The guy who played the bad oh, guy. Oh, the, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think you're right. It was Stephen Dorff. Yeah, and they got Marshawn Ali to be the new Blade. And God bless, he's yeah. a good actor, but he didn't know really? Wesley Snipes, you know? Yeah, Wesley Snipes is like... Yeah Wesley, Snipes, yeah, Wesley Snipes has charisma to burn. Like, he is... Yeah. Oh, I remember. We were talking about the um, Disney... Uh, Disney, of all people. They are remaking White Men Can't Jump. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> they, I, oh, I my know, with, uh, goodness. With that one... Uh, with a YouTuber heart. or something. Yeah, that r- white rapper, dude. <sighs> white rapper. It's like the fact that we have to say white rapper, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that just lets you know a lot. But um, but it's like you're going from Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson to this. And it's and yeah. you watch the movie, and it looks like it, it looks like a travesty. I'm not saying it's going to be a travesty. Yeah. But, but the original movie is kind of genius in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, what's her name? Or, uh, Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez, yeah. yeah. You have, you have, yeah. You're too me. Yeah. <laughs> Quiche. Your your two main actors, by the way, are still. I, I would I wouldn't say Wes is as relevant. He's not as relevant as he once was, which is but a shame. Woody which is Harrelson, a shame. Woody Harrelson is definitely still relevant. Yeah. I think he's he's still an A list. Oh today. no, Woody Harrelson's awesome. He was just the star of Venom too. Remember? And he's, yeah. And, but that's not his best thing. He's still in great movies that are coming out. Zombieland. Yeah. And he he does. I mean, he's in all kinds. But, of But uh, Wesley Snipes, though, he was great in a bad movie. He was great in that Coming to America sequel. He was the best thing in. He that was. Movie. Yeah. He was. And he's yeah. he's hopefully making a comeback too. I I would I would love to see him transition to something else. I would love because yeah. Wesley Snipes awesome. But going back to the '80s stuff, though, you know, you had these low-budget things, these Gonzo filmmakers. They could do whatever they want, and they they made a movie based on a title, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And they said, how many weird, wacky ways can we have these clowns kill people? Well, let's have them shoot popcorn gun and turn them into cotton candy and suck them up into machines, you know? And then we we explode if we get hit with our, if their nose explodes. It's, you know, they have, you know, uh, balloon dogs chasing. It's just, it sounds yeah. stupid. And, there, and there's no mystery. It's all literally gimmick. It's, exactly. It's, it's 100% gimmick. The the characters are utilitarian. They're they're irrelevant. Even some of the plot points with the characters are just abandoned. Yeah, it's concept. Uh, like it's the, all the, concept. The love triangle between like this is never resolved, and at the end, it's like she's with the other guy. They're like embracing. I don't even know what's happening, but um, but that's not. But it doesn't matter. Is the best part. It, it's it does not matter that what these characters are doing. It does not matter what the story is it's basically just like they shamelessly ripped off the original blob from they, said, they said that by the way on the commentary they, oh did they, they yeah oh, that's awesome yeah they literally yeah. just like they literally said let's do that even they have another farmer with the dog going mm-hmm. out to investigate he gets immediately killed um and he takes some elements from like invasion of the body snatchers with like the pod the pods and stuff mm-hmm. um with the cotton candy but yeah it, it and and it doesn't again doesn't matter that they're just shamelessly ripping off other movies because what they the original stuff that they are doing is so original it's, mm-hmm. it's you've never seen anything like this before no that, or, since, like, or since crib. or since yeah or since and you can so so as a viewer you're like go ahead crib whatever you want from these other movies as long as you're giving me more clown stuff but there's also a secret sauce and i think you know what i'm going to say uh i think a major reason why the film exists i think that one of the 
without it there is no film is the song and i think clowns yep by the dickies you know and i was uh i was doing some research on it and they basically said yeah they didn't even see the movie they just had the name yeah they wrote a song around the name you know (laughs) they got close they made an ep EP too i listened to the whole ep yesterday it's pretty good really yeah yeah it's like six tracks maybe um yeah just kind of like horror themed maybe a couple other ones but yeah it's a fun fun little album it's amazing, you know. And you know, I, I, again, you watch you watch the film with commentary on. I would love to hear commentary on on um, the Wizard of Speeding Time, but that's never mm-hmm. going to happen. But I was I was I've seen the movie a hundred times. I don't think I ever need to see it again, but I probably will. But there's a great scene at the beginning when the clowns get up and they start walking towards the town, and there's all that fog in the background. And yeah. the directors point out, like, and the Chiodos are a lot of fun, by the way. They're just like New, they just sound like New Yorkers talking about special effects, you know. And and they have this like, oh, look at our hand handwritten sign to the sound. They just plopped it there. But they didn't have money or they didn't have time to dress the clown costumes, so they could none of the the performers had their shoes on, so they just mm-hmm. filmed above and they just cut around it. And it's like, okay, that's that's how you do things on a budget. You figure it out. You figure out how do we do this? We we don't have money to build a giant, you know, spaceship, so let's just do forced perspective. You know, we don't have time to do stop motion, so let's just put a guy, you know, let's put one of the Chiodo brothers in a costume and make him and call him what Clownzilla? They actually called him Clownzilla. Yeah, yeah Clownzilla. Clownzilla. At the end, right? Yeah. But it looks great. I mean, it looks fantastic. And you're like, you watch this and you're watching such high concept and you think to yourself, why can't Hollywood make something like this? And you realize they couldn't because they'd want to put story in it. They'd want to put a love interest. They'd want to add better special effects. And pretty soon it just wouldn't feel authentic anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's pretty sad. You know, is that kind of what I didn't see the Terrifier movie, but is that kind of what that does? It just kind of abandons the plot and just yeah, there's no focuses plot. on the monster, right? The creature. Um, it's Christian, you know, Christian Sterling. He's a big fan of these movies. Um, yeah, like, I can see the appeal. I think the reason Terrifier worked better than most is because it basically, like you said, it gets rid of the characters for the most part. The characters don't really exist. They're they're fodder, and you have a great central performance by the you know the lead clown actor. And I think that goes a long way to making something likable. Like it goes a very long way. And I think yeah. to some respect, if you go back to the 80s again, you go back to Freddy Krueger, you go back to Jason, you go back to Chucky. And even in the 90s a little bit, like Jeepers Creepers. Um, oh, goodness. What was the other? What's the one with Justin Long? Uh, that wasn't Jeepers Creepers, was In the was 90s. It? Um, it was 2000s. Uh, the, Hills, the Hills Have Eyes and stuff, the remake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when they want to create a new villain, like Candyman, right? Oh yeah, like, I can't even. like you can't just put a, per, a mask on somebody and say you're you're a killer. Like there has to be something about that killer. There has to be something about the character that's endearing. You know, there has to be something. And I think um, with killer clowns, you have these horribly disgusting, horrible, gross-looking things. And I remember who are the two characters, the ice cream guys. Remember the ones who were selling? Yeah, they're the Lenny and Squiggy standards. Lenny and Squiggy standards, um, which I guess they're based off of the Chiodo's friends. But, um, you know, let's just, no, no spoilers if you haven't seen it, but there's a scene when they meet the female clowns, mm-hmm. and it's it's straight out of Gremlins 2, although this movie came before Gremlins 2. You remember where uh, the, Chris, was the Christopher Lee character meets the female gremlin? Yeah. Or the, yeah. But they don't say anything, but like 20 minutes later, they, they pop back <laughs> up, and they're closed, and they got lipstick, and like, yeah, yeah. they beeped them. They, yeah, they, they totally did. <laughs> like, yeah. So, and, and, the, and those guys, all the characters uh, are just annoying, except for those two guys. 
Um, I think they're the best human characters in the movie. But but that's that's kind of the point, right? Like you you just want to see the clowns. It doesn't matter. You you actually can't even have. They go like whole stretches where the protagonists aren't even in this movie, and you're just watching the clowns oh, yeah. like go about town. It like <laughs> it doesn't even matter because well, obviously the necessity of the protagonist and the nature of these clowns uh, necessitates that they're separate at all times. Otherwise, like they're gonna just like try to kill each other, and then they won't. One of them won't exist anymore. So you need both of them for different reasons, and so that's why they're not together. You even have a character taking a shower for like an hour of the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the main female characters in the shower, yeah. literally in the shower for like ninety percent of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and they uh, longest shower in cinema history. That's what they said. And uh, Chiodos were saying they wanted to do for toilets what Hitchcock did for showers. <laughs> but, and it was the opposite. Like, yeah, they do the, the shower first, and well, then they go to the toilet. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. I want to, you know, there was a movie that came out last year. It was the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie, remember? Mm-hmm. Now, you saw it, right? You have kids. I did not. I did not oh, see this one. Well, it's not terrible, right? It's not a terrible movie. Not as good as the first one. But they, there's literally a scene in the movie where the movie kind of stops. And we were joking about this on another podcast. But there's a movie stops for, like, 30 minutes, and they focus on the wedding of, like, a main character's friend. And I thought to myself, what child wants coming to see Sonic the Hedgehog is now watching, like, waiting to exhale? You know, it's yeah. like, what a switch. <laughs> and it, it just doesn't, it, you feel it, too. You you feel like this movie's not focused, right? Yeah. And, I'm, and it's just with Killer Clowns, they're giving you, they're giving you all dessert. There's no meal. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're like yeah, yeah. The characters, we don't care. You don't have, don't worry about them. They're there, but they're just a necessity. Yeah. There's no Phoebe. Yeah. There's no Phoebe Cates talking about how no, yeah, exactly. Christmas was ruined from they found you know Santa dead in the alley. <laughs> yeah. Shoehorn, yeah, shoehorn pathos. Yeah, none of does not matter. Even like again, the the this strange love triangle abandoned. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I, great. Well, at the end, they all got together with pie. So, but yeah. no spoilers. But no, it's it's just it's the creativity, and again, I go back to Wizard of Speed and Time. The creativity of watching the effects, like for all the faults of Wizard of Speed and Time, right? For all the faults, for all the bad acting and all the hackneyed jokes and everything, the moment that short comes on the screen, you're mesmerized. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you you yeah. can't you can't take your eyes off. It's special. You're smiling because it's so creative. Okay, this is what I came for. You know, this is it. This is this is what I came for. And with Killer Clowns, I think what they do in better ways, I should say, is that they spread that joy throughout the entire film. Because, you know, someone's knocking at the door. It's the clowns delivering a pizza, you know, and they're going to turn you into cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, it, the whole film is like that. And, and even when it's not the best executed, you feel the love that they put in this, that they, they made this happen. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's such an experience. Yeah, the, the first time I watched this movie, I remember thinking, I remember not liking that we don't really find out the motive. There's no, like, that no mystery gets uncovered at the end, other than he, you know, they drink a straw out of the cotton candy, whatever. <laughs> but there's no real reason, like, why Earth, you know, like another movie would do. I watched it this recent time, and I was like, you know what, that kind of makes it a little more uh, chilling that they just act with no, they just don't care. It doesn't, to them, they're just, these people it's like mike myers why is he you know there's no real reason why he's killing you, yeah i was gonna people. say you better be careful what you ask for because hollywood is obsessed with know, backstories with backstories yeah i know exactly so, so i like i watched this re- this most recent time i'm like you know it doesn't matter it's 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 more chilling that way and f- 
for all intents and purposes, this movie is not scary. However, there is one moment that I think it still gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. And it's the moment in the police station where the character Dave, who's the cop, he's walking through this empty police station and you're following him. And then all of a sudden, like the camera stops in the background of the scene of the shot. There's the clown sitting backwards in a chair and then he turns around and then Dave sees it and he stops. The clown turns around and then Officer Mooney, this old curmudgeon lady. Oh, you mean John Vernon, is, right? Yeah, exactly. John yeah. Vernon as Officer Mooney. He's sitting on his on his lap and he's a ventriloquist every time. And and not only is that part, I think, this it's undoubtedly this the creepiest part in the whole movie, but then he takes his hand out of his back. Oh, the, the sound. Is, the sound. He kind of like yeah, and he kind of like is holding it like you just like uh, you know deboned a fish or something. He just it's it's so it's so sinister, and that is the soul. I think it's the best moment in the movie, and it's the thing that says no. This is still a horror movie, but we're not gonna we're gonna make you uncomfortable in this moment, even well, though the rest of it will make you laugh. I think it's the highlight of the film. I think it's the best gag where he yeah. turns John Vernon into a literal you know Mary uh, ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, but you know, there's the fore- the foreshadowing. Where he's like, "No one's gonna make a dummy out of me." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you will. You'll be a dummy. But um, so apparently, Vernon loved being in this movie, hmm. and he actually said, "Can you bring me back? I'll be a zombie." Like, oh he, really? He, yeah, he was like ad libbing and everything. Oh, okay. he, and you look at him; he's great in the scene. Like he he acts well with the fat clown. Like he does yeah. a great job. But um, his his whole character is like making fun of his character in animal. Was it Animal House? Yeah, he was like the the principal. The yeah, the the prototypical like you college kids on my yeah. campus. Like he's that yeah. guy. Whenever you see that character in a movie, that's based on John Vernon. Right there. Yeah, exactly. Like the like the Bueller uh, teacher yep. or like the Breakfast Club uh, principal. Because <laughs> like two cops in this whole city, and all he does is bitch about <laughs> yeah. college there's students. No, there's no other police officers. <laughs> you college kids are ruining the city. You're killing the city, he says to the college kids because they're drinking yeah. beer. Maybe, so. maybe hire more police officers. Oh man! But no, they. But the one cop that was competent actually helped save the day. Yeah, yeah. And he, and, and they kind of uh, so in the first the blob. The whole thing is the cop doesn't uh, believe the character. Right? He doesn't believe Steve McQueen's character. Mm-hmm. And then in the in the sequel, they kind of like. Um, rescind that and, and you have the cop okay maybe he's got a point like he's a good kid or whatever um and so they kind of do that here too like they make the cop eventually believe well the kid, which is cool. you mentioned about no backstory but i another movie we both love quite a bit night of the creeps um oh yeah another movie that's not quite the cult classic it should be but i think in, no. in time in time but you remember the opening prologue to that they show outer space yeah. And and it's in the the 50s? Yeah, in the 50s. And there's so much story in that two minutes that never gets talked about again in the whole film. Aliens, the 50s, that's it. That's all you need. the audience knows it. The audience knows it, and that's all that matters. Well, I forget who it was. It was uh, George Romero who talked about this. Like, in the first Night of the Living Dead, he regrets putting... um, There's a radio announcement about uh, some satellite Uh dish was interacting with a comet or something. And he was meant to imply that the zombie plague was an alien plague or an alien mm-hmm. virus. He wishes he had taken that out. He wishes yeah. he had just left it nebulous and like just say, make up your own reason for it. You don't need to yeah. know. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, yeah, it's more about the reaction to it. It's more about how do people? Because that yeah, Night of the Living Dead was about the humans, right? It's about how mm-hmm. do these humans bring uh, take this conflict and 
how does their personality how do their personalities get affected by this yeah exactly and 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 you see what's happening now like with what happened with the walking dead and the last of us and everything it's that you know humans are the real monsters no the zombies are the monsters humans are just messed up but it's there's such a tendency to over-explain and, you know, to prequelize and to, to have explanations for everything. Like, we je- we joke about it, but, man, you're getting a, a Willy Wonka prequel this year. Oh, we don't need that. With Chalamet, of all people. I, we don't <sighs> need it. Uh, we didn't need the Tim Burton one either. He's just no. going to keep coming back. But we didn't need that movie. By the way, the original 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is, pro- in my opinion, is yeah. like top three best movies ever well, we've made. never talked Not about even it yet my favorite. It's yeah one of the best movies ever made i don't care what anybody says i i actually it's one of my top five favorite movies of all time yeah by the way. same oh yeah. yeah same here and i and yeah. I, that's not nostalgia speaking and what's oh funny, yeah no it's fantastic you know it's funny um because it was directed by a documentary film uh documentary filmmaker which yeah, i think which i think is why it is the way it is but uh, they just announced today if you're listening to this podcast they announced today that they're making new lord of the rings trilogies did you hear about this is it because of the new show or what? <sighs> Who knows? Peter Jackson's involved, but I don't think he's directing. But, like, huh. you know, you have all this stuff that explains everything, and I get why people want that. I get the allure for fan fiction. They want you to participate. But it just, I, I guess I miss the old days when movies allowed you to sort of fill in the blanks of your own and, yeah. to, you know, to, to, to fill in the story as you saw fit. And I, I don't know. I guess I'm in the minority on that. In where it's necessary, I think it's fine. Back in like you watch, say, Night of the Creeps, and it does give you a, a backstory, and it's fine. It doesn't pound you over the head with it. It doesn't become part of the character's motive later on. It's they're not trying to really uncover it. They're just dealing with the slugs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if that movie were made now, you'd have the backstory, and then you'd have the characters now, and then they'd be trying to figure out, oh, I I just read a a newspaper in the library. And it tells me, told me that like uh, one of the newspaper clippings said that in the fifties this thing happened. Like they would come back to it, but oh, it doesn't need to do that. I forgot to say. Speaking of that, you called it. They also announced they're doing a it prequel for I think uh, HBO Max from the people from the. It's like something Welcome to Dairy or something. It's just mm. you. You just can't leave it alone. Everything's got to be explained. <laughs> you know, gotta gotta watch Ghostbusters and find out what happened to the candy bar wrapper. You know what happened. How did Han Solo get his dice? You know, it's God. Use some imagination, people. <laughs> I, I am curious. I mean, it says in the book, I guess, but I am curious about how they're going to handle the Oompa Loompas oh, in the prequel. Can I say this real quick? Have you been following that? Not to segue, people. If you don't like this, cut out. Did you see that controversy about them editing Roald Dahl's books and changing passages? Like, what, like it, why? This is no. This was a big story this week. Like even like the prime minister of Britain said, "Don't do it." Um, Salman Rushdie said, "Don't do it." Yeah. So the the huh. Dahl family has decided to edit his books and change passages and take out offensive language, turn you know to just continue to to basically make them more palatable. They said to today's audiences, and they're even adding passages, like adding explain you know explainers and all this. And they're basically it's it's not Dahl's work anymore at that point. It's, it's are they going to do this with like all of um, them Dickens or are they going to do this with well I mean there's stuff I mean there's stuff in every every book that came out before like the 90s yeah but they sell the children they, they want to sell it to children and that's the problem uh, okay well then they need to say something like this has been edited for your reading pleasure I like I like I, I read I read um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to my five-year-old. He's almost five. Mm-hmm. And I, we just finished reading it, like, not too long ago. And, um, you know, the the parts in it that I think are, like, the most 
maybe that could be deemed in today's society as like offensive or like he uses the word fat a lot to yeah, describe children. No, that's gone. That's gone. Um, that was a big. And so, like, when I was reading it, I was just omitting those words. And I, I mean, if you're old enough to be able to read that stuff, um, you're going to see that stuff everywhere anyway. Like, I guess. And if you're reading it to your kids, you, you can censor it how you want to censor it. I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Like, we start censoring stuff like that. It doesn't censor reality. It's like. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you're you, good. You know, your kid, you tell your kid, you know, that that child's not fat, but it's not going to that that child's still getting diabetes. You know, it's like, yeah, it's... exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. But I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's like it's weird, right? It's it's I don't, I don't ever I guess, think should be censored. I don't but, have any uh, I don't have any kids, so I don't face that pressure. But I'll say this. Yeah. Do you remember that scene in Kill Bill Volume 2 when they showed Carradine talking to the little girl and he's like, what would you like to watch before you go to bed? And the little girl's like, Shogun Assassin. You know, it's <laughs> like if like if your kids are want to be cool, then they're going to read the word fat. But as long as you're not using it and you're, you're not, you know, as a parent, as long as you're not calling your kids making like, fun, instilling yeah. in them, instilling in them, uh, you know, uh, image issues or weight issues or whatever. Well, um, I'll say this. The argument was, and going back, this will tie us back to the movies. The argument was is that, you know, um, Roald Dahl himself was censoring things before he died, which he was. Like, he would, like, he actually went back and he would modify things. Um, Charles Dickens would do that. Like, I remember famously, Charles Dickens went back and heavily ed- edited Oliver Twist. Like, he found... Yeah, really? I didn't really... Oh, yeah. Didn't really very, very much. He, he, um, felt it, he felt his portrayal of Fagin was anti-Semitic. And what you know, it might have been you know, might have been you know considered that way. And he went back, but uh, but here's but here's the rub though. Here's the argument. So when Dahl actually wrote Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, Charlie was black, and the publishers had him change it to make really? Charlie white. Yeah, like huh. like Dahl, like I said, in the words of Salman Rushdie, he was no angel, but he loved children, and yeah. he I think he understood better than anybody today. I would say I would say Dahl is probably the ultimate children's book writer, apart from like Dr. Seuss. Yeah. That you know that children deserve to, that children deserve to be a little offended, you know, because offense yeah. offense helps build like resilience towards real bullies, you know, and you don't yeah, exactly. you don't get that if everything's been commoditized. And you can see that you can see that trickling down to like J.K. Rowling. I bet she was a mm-hmm. huge Roald Dahl fan. You can see oh, that. Absolutely. Very, very, very oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely, she was. And um, and you see what happened to her though. Like you see the controversy yeah, know, that happens right? with that. You but, know. But I- I was going to say, Roald Dahl, even like he wrote the Willy Wonka script for the movie. Um, and so you could even say like, OK, he was editing his own work because there's stuff that he changed in the from the book to there, not to make it less offensive, but, you know, cleaning it up a bit because the, the book is not perfect, uh, despite what um, Tim Burton thinks. Uh, the book is of Charlie and, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is not a perfect novel, but um the, I think the changes he made for the movie were for the better. They yeah. had another guy come well, clean it up too, but yeah. I'll say this. Books and movies are different mediums, right? And, yeah, exactly. And I think when we would talk about movies like Wizard of Speed and Time, see what I did, or uh, Killer Clowns, I think what you're doing is though you're actually getting something closer to a book than a movie. Because when you have the Chiodos or Jitlov or Peter Jackson or James Cameron, you not only have a storyteller, but you have someone who's a visual storyteller. Or yeah. I would, and I, you know, I would put Robert Zemeckis up there in the 80s and 90s as yeah. one of them. It's like, how do I talk? Exactly. Like when you read a book, right? And everybody who's a reader knows what I'm going to say is true. When you read a book, 
it's not your your brain isn't creating the world for you. You're you're sort of have you have a relationship with the words in a way that's different than watching a movie. You're voicing things like the characters look like you think they look. They act like you think, and that constant omniscient omniscient I can't talk. You don't talk about it. the perpetual yeah. voice that hangs around. That can be you. That could be the author. It's and when you have a great author like Stephen King, for example, I don't know what you think about Stephen King. Oh yeah, but he's a great storyteller. One of the best ever. Yeah, he writes like someone's talking to you on a campfire, and that doesn't yeah. always translate in a film when you have different competing narrative voices, right? But when you have, and I think Roald Dahl would be up there as well. I think Roald Dahl, Roald Dahl wrote adult books for children. Can I say that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were scary. They were freaky. They were delightful. I love them. I still love them. I still think they're great. But when you have, um, you compare that to like product books, like books that are clearly written for, by algorithm that are designed to fit demographic niches and they, they don't hold the weight. They might sell a million copies, a billion copies. They might win Newbery medals, but they're forgotten. Nobody cares. I think the closest we have to that today would be like a J.K. Rowling, you know, someone who's able to create yeah. a whole universe. Um, did you know there's, did you ever see this video? I don't have a copy of it. I'll show it to you later. There's a video of Roald Dahl, like back in 1990, I think it was, or 1989. And I love this video so much. And he's talking with people in this car and there's a knock on the window and he rolls down the window and it's Ian McKellen in drag. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it was made for some special because, oh, he, yeah. yeah, he was friends with Ian McKellen at the time, but that's Ian McKellen signaling what we all kind of knew, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's, he's, there's, it's just so perfect, right? It's such a perfect combination. And you could tell that Roald Dahl was probably a freak a little bit. He's probably a little nasty in the be- you know, in his private life, which he was. Yeah. But when he wrote for children, he wrote for children. But he just he knew how to write for them. And when I watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like I'm watching a movie for me. Like yeah. it doesn't need to look perfect. The clowns you could see that you could see their the performance hands sometimes. You could see their the, the faces aren't that articulate. You can see that. But it's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like when I watch a movie on VHS, and mm-hmm. you know it's cropped differently. It's it's four three instead of sixteen nine. Instead, of, you know, a normal widescreen. Um, it's grainy. It's not <laughs> Blu-ray quality at all. Um, and I'm a big I'm a big fan of photography and and I mean like cinematic cinematography, uh, photography in terms of cinema. But um, at the same time, I still get a different sense i get it i i respond differently to watching a movie on vhs i have a few hundred vhs tapes <laughs> i have three vcrs in my house um i just love watching vhs tapes and it's not because it's better quality it's actually probably because it's the opposite like i said i wouldn't want to see wizard of speed and time on blu-ray because i think it would do something different to it i think it would change the, your response an emotional response at least that i had to it uh yeah, but I, I, in that sense, that's an analogy for a movie that's not perfect. Like you watch these '80s movies that we love, like mm-hmm. The Return of the Living Dead or Night of the Creeps or House or whatever it may be. Heck, even the like the first, even I mean, all of the Friday Thirteenth <laughs> movies, um, and yet they're awesome. Like I could watch those over watching, um, you know, something clean any day. Well, you know, it's funny. The first time I ever saw ever heard of the wizard of speed and time we used to have this ritual when we were kids we'd go down to blockbuster or hollywood video or whatever they call it whatever before the amalgamations took over and that was a treat because i for those who don't know for those who only watch netflix and hulu and all this stuff oh my you missed out and i think you don't have to say with this 
Yeah. Go to the video store and you get to look at the boxes. And the boxes were designed to make you grab them and turn it around and look at the, you'll see like a frame of the movie or a couple little pictures and a big description. And it's hilarious. And every horror movie always had like a tagline. Like I remember um, Jack Jack Frost, not the Michael Keaton one, but the other one. It's like he's icing and slicing, you know, she's yeah. dead and loving it. It was always some cheesy yeah. thing. But it's like the and I remember Blockbuster used to have this one. Um, this was back in like 1989, by the way, which was a great year for VHS, by the way. Can I just say that? Mm-hmm. 89 was the best year ever for VHS. And they would they had this commercial on. And I'm going to splice the commercial into this podcast later, but I don't know if you've heard it before. But like, they had just had this overwrought guy talking about he's selling a movie that is not this movie. <laughs> and you saw this a lot with the, you know, trailers would be misleading, but it was so tongue in cheek and dripping in sarcasm. Like it was talked about how the movie failed at the box office, how it's, you know, all this stuff. But they're selling it like it's an action movie, like a Star Wars movie. It's all full of special effects. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Did you ever... Do you remember the trailer for Bridge to Ter- Terabithia that came out, like, 15 years <laughs> no, ago? I don't think so. But, you know... I probably you, saw it, but I, have, I, I can't recall it. Have you seen the movie? No, I've never seen Bridge to okay. Terabithia. Okay, spoiler. It is not Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's about two kids. <laughs> is that kids. what they sold? That's what they sold they it as, right? absolutely sold it as Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And they sold it as some magical adventure in some fantasy world. No, it's the, it's about a kid who dies. And, and the fantasy world is from their imagination. Well, that, that whole era was riddled, was littered oh, with stuff. Lies. I mean, you had the Narnia movies, which I think the first one was really good. But yeah, the first one. And okay. you had like you had like the Golden Compass, and then you had like um, what was the other one that was kind of like? But you had all these movies that were trying to that were biting off of the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, cookie. like all yeah, that, well, yeah, all that exactly. stuff. The high fantasy, um, yeah. And and very few of them worked because they didn't have the directors that that Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter had. And they didn't have like the the source material that those had either. But uh, yeah, I, but going back to what you were saying about like making a a, a picture in your head, I remember when yeah. I was when I read the first Harry Potter movie. This is before the movie came out. I mean, the first when I read the first Harry Potter book before the movie came out. I remember. I was had an entirely different idea of what these characters sounded like and what the world looked like, and it was just kind of cool. This is a total aside. But, oh, no, no, uh, no, no. Um, I have a, yeah. my my roommate is actually going through the Harry Potter uh, series again because she just got the game, you know, the the Hogwarts okay. Legacy game. Yeah. And it's you know, and I I feel for you because I remember there was some contra- controversy about the first Harry Potter movie. It was supposed to be Sp- Steven Spielberg that was going mm-hmm. to direct it, and he wanted to get Her- you know Haley Joel Osment. And there was oh, this, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this dictum that it was going to be British only, and yeah. the and the compromise was so Spielberg left the project, um, and he decided to make AI instead. And yeah, the, it was his, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, by the way, I like that movie. It's not perfect, yeah, it's good. but I like it. Um, it's yeah. very flawed, but um, yeah, it's two directors basically. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, and it's it's strange. It's like peanut butter and pickles. But um, but no, it was Christopher Columbus who did it, and the Americanization, like you know, they had Daniel Radcliffe, which is a genius casting at the time. Yeah. But the books weren't finished yet, and as you went, as you watch the evolution of the Harry Potter movies versus the books, you can tell at some point J.K. Rowling's like influence became overwhelming. Yeah. And it's funny because as the books got bigger, because you know they went from like what two hundred and fifty page books to like seven yeah. eight hundred, insanely big, yeah. And the movies became thinner. And that was felt. I think the movies became better as time went by, by the way. Um, because, yeah. you know, they, they chopped it up. But 
the books were special. I think the books were special. And I think I want to thank JK for getting millions of kids into reading books that would have never read books. Let's just be honest here. Oh, yeah. It was like a renaissance of, of, of literature, basically. <sighs> and then and then the system took over and YA happened. And yeah, we don't talk about yeah, that. Yeah. And then you had all kinds of other stuff. Crap. Like Divergent. Or was that one? Insurgent or Divergent or whatever that one was there, called. You just make up a word and it's a Hunger franchise. Games. Yeah. Hunger Games is good. But yeah. Definitely. Well, in the in the in the '90s, you had like the weird '90s. Just had a whole aesthetic, like the Goosebumps aesthetic, where everything was just like weird and gross and like colorful well, at the same time. It's kind of like, have you seen? You know who Drew Struzan is, right? The guy who did. Oh yeah, yeah. Drew I, have the, I have one of his uh, book where it has all his art in it. It's fantastic. And, yeah, he's great. But if you look at movies today, every single movie you can name copies that style they got that fake hand-drawn style that looks like like an old 80s movie and they all Uh think it's special but then when you watch the film it's nothing like that and you feel you just feel like how do i say this without sounding elitist you feel like you have people who claim they want this old-fashioned old throwback 80s feel like they'll even release the movies on vhs have you seen this it's a huge phenomenon like they'll, they'll they'll retrofit it but the movies aren't that good and yeah. they th- I think they think, well, I'm going to have retro nostalgia and that will be enough. Like, oh, yeah, it's just like, like you remember, like Stranger Things kind of feeling. And it's not a- Stranger Things isn't that good. Like, I hate, sorry, I'm probably 100 listeners well, stop listening. But um, that's OK. We don't need them. Yeah. So. But yeah, I know like the movie, there's a movie like Summer of 84 uh, or something. And then there's another one. Yeah. These modern kind of like 80s rip off things that are just not they just are going based off of aesthetic and not actual well structure. Well, and I, and I hate to say this, it's going to be a little offensive, but like we both talk, we both like Monster Squad, right? Yeah. Yeah, from which by the way, which will probably be an episode at some point, but from yeah. the same same guy Frank Decker or what's that his name? Frank Decker? Decker? Frank Decker, yeah. Frank, yeah, who yeah, made Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps, yeah. Yeah, Night of the Creeps and RoboCop 3. Uh, <laughs> one of those is not good. But you know, you watch this, and that is a prototypical '80s film. You got the assemblage of misfit kids. You have a few f bombs in there that would not play today. You know, it's very violent. You have little girls being called, you know, horrible names. But it's got a visceral feel that is missing from the modern stuff. It's gone. It's just not there. And you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space has that visceral feel. You know, when when a when a character gets its head knocked off or you know gets turned into liquefied, it's it's gory. It's not scary. It's not yeah. scary, you know. And and I don't think it would work if it was scary. I think if the music hadn't been synth music, it wouldn't have worked. I think having synth in a rock song makes Killer Clowns pal- palatable in yeah. a way that I think if you had a horror score, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, the the whole circus, dun, 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 that whole thing is yeah is fantastic. But also, I think movies nowadays try. I think I, my favorite horror movies are the ones that are not um, necessarily trying to scare me. I, I just really like schlocky stuff. Like I'm not even too, looking yeah. to get. I'm not looking to get scared when I watch an '80s horror movie. I'm looking to watch something that is fun and maybe creepy and kind of gripping. Like you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is creepy and gripping and and fun. Like that's kind of what I want. And even though that's not a horror movie for the most part. But yeah, nowadays I think horror has gotten into we need to like terrify the audience. Yeah. And, and by I terrifying, it's what, just it's I don't gore. Think that's what, that, it, I don't think that's what horror fans really want. I think they want 
more of an aesthetic thing or like uh you know creatures and stuff like that i think it comes and goes i do i definitely think you know you have the you have your generations like you for about 15 years you had all those oh my goodness ethan those endless killer teen movies where you know the death was stalking like you know uh yeah, the fun, ring and stuff yeah final destination and you know like yeah and, and you look at the boxes and every box to every one of those movies is exactly the same it's a bunch of floating heads of all the teens that are going to die, yeah. and they're all and they're, and they're all hot. Everyone's good looking. Yeah. No ugly people there, you know. And you know, a diverse cast of characters, and everyone dies. And and I get it. Like the Scream movies are back, and they're mm-hmm. they're just like that now. They're exactly like that, that like they were. You know, um, I saw this thing where I guess the new Scream movies coming out, and they said yeah. the hit new single, and they and now they it's been popularized again it's it's a mainstream movie scream is not subversive anymore it's mainstream yeah and it's going to make a hundred million dollars again you know it's going to be very popular well, the one last year was pretty good yeah the, the scream last year was but, pretty good but they did die off for like 15 years didn't they or like 10 years like yeah they, yeah they, the last one was like 2006 maybe yeah so. it, it had to go dormant for a while to come back yeah but um but no i mean i think i think you're right i think when you watch the horror movies like this i think even the movies that are called horror there's an element of creativity there that I don't think you're, you find in most modern mainstream movies. And I think maybe that's it. Maybe because you, it's like going to a magic show. You can, mm. you can kind of see how the bread is made or the sandwich is made. And you know it's fake, but it's fun to figure it out. You know? And I think, oh God, what was it? I, did we talk about this? It's the same with comedy a little bit. Like when you have, when a comedy is overproduced, it's not funny anymore. When a horror movie is yeah. overproduced, it's not funny anymore. You know, when I see fake blood squibs, I'm out. I can't do it. You know, that Terrifier movie, we talked about Terrifier. I, I like the films, right? But I watched this. Have you seen them, either one? No, I haven't seen either of them. Man, bodies are not made of rubber, right? Yeah. And whenever they show people getting killed, it's like they're sawing into a Barbie doll. And and they have that fake special effect, I mean, special sound effects, like, it's like, yeah. no, but blood doesn't sound like that. It, it takes yeah. me. It takes me out of it. It's hard for me to get into modern horror. Um, the few that I've liked have been like really wacky stuff, like Malignant. I like that a lot. I like James. That Wong was too, crazy but... though. That was nuts. Yeah, was I so... like crazy stuff. Like that's the, like I like stuff, and it wasn't even really scary. It's just like weird. I like that's the kind of stuff that I like. Or like um, Vicious Fun. I talked about it on one of our year interviews a couple of years ago. That was a really good one. It was an '80s throwback. That was, that was one of the few good '80s throwbacks. Vicious Fun's a really fun one. Um, yeah, like a modern horror, I, I just really can't get into. It. I don't, I don't want to watch Cannibal Holocaust. Like you know, I I don't want to watch. I can't watch it. I I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, like regardless of, I mean, not even from an ethics standpoint. Just as far as like, that's not my. That's not something I. The style of that is not something I want to watch. I, like, I guess. Well, like two of my favorite movies of all time are both by George Romero. I love Dawn of the Dead and I love Day yeah. of the Dead. I've oh, talked, I've talked about this. Yeah. Polar opposites, right? Yeah. Like. Like, Dawn of the Dead has silliness in it. It has pie fights. It has all that. But at the end of the day, it's a horror movie. But it's got silliness. Yeah. Day of the Dead has no silliness. It is straight up horror. Uh, it is it is terrifying. and It's a think piece, too. It's a think piece. And, you know, unfortunately, he's another director that kind of never survived the, the low-budget thing. He just went off yeah. to make mediocrity. But what I mean is, like, I have, I have a time and a place for that. Like, I think The Exorcist, a movie we talked about, I think The Exorcist is a great horror movie. That is low on on you know it's low it's low on blood but it's high on chills, but at yeah. the same point I would never consider what was it when when James Gunn and and Zack Snyder remade Dawn of the Dead they turned it into an action movie 
Yeah, that was pretty. I it was like pretty that one, pretty good one. Pretty good, but it's not. Yeah. But it's not the same as the original. I don't it's think it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I can't enjoy it, right? Exactly. Exactly. We see with the Exorcist though. Exorcist is like it's a character study. I think too. Like, like another thing. Like the if modern horror is going to take that right, that's fine. Too, that's fine too. But again, like they're try, It's it's like it's myopic. They just have one thing in mind. They want to terrify you and I, mean, I get it but i just well yeah it's just not my style i would say something like killer clowns is something else i think yeah, killer, yeah, yeah. killer clowns is more like return of the living dead like return <laughs> of the living dead is a like for some reason that i know you love it and i love it too but under no circumstances is that a a <laughs> a really great zombie movie it's something else like it's like you have you but have, it, it's tight though but Return of the Living Dead has just this like flow to it that it feels like you're watching a really really well constructed movie with very cheesy parts to it if that makes sense like but the cheese some is, of its the cheese is, is great completely... though yeah exactly yeah and it, that's great too but but the like the narrative the pacing of Return of the Living Dead and and like the st- uh, the storyboard like the way that it goes from this scene to the next scene and the way that it carries forward the the story and the plot is ingenious but the parts that make up that story are you know chintzy and super ridiculous and laughable and it's awesome too and it's if that were a separate <laughs> movie it would be great in its own right but it's in this movie that actually has a really fun structure to it it's got too, a good if that makes sense it does and it's got a good compromise like but again it's it's, yeah. it's you look at the box cover it's got zombies and mohawks like yeah cleavage zombies but and then you the very last scene in the movie is when they reuse that cheap shot of the skeleton with a you could clearly see the stick yeah. and it's like got the rock it's like it's party time you know it's like it's yeah. this is not a scary movie but no but you know it's got a strip tease and then eventually the you know she comes back as a zombie but not really a zombie because the movie just gives up trying to do zombies at that point in the third one though she oh, isn't the third the, one is that the Linnea Quigley in the third? I'm there. I think I, I've seen the third I, one before. I don't know, but you know, I've only seen one or two. but I will say this though. Can I say this about uh, Killer Clowns? Because speaking of Hollywood royalty, before we like start closing out here, um, we talk about how these movies are connected. I think it's who is it? Yeah, it's uh, yes, it is Suzanne Snyder. Who, oh yeah, yeah, who plays Beth? I seen like everything she's in. I Debbie, think. she is in so many movies that we just talked about. She. Yeah. God, she's in the last Starfighter, Ethan. We have to do the last yeah. Starfighter at some point. Uh, she's in the facts like no, she's in Night of the Creeps. Yeah. Yep. She's in Return of the yeah, She's Dead the Part main. Two. She's the main girl in Night of the Creeps. Yep. She's in a lot of stuff. She's also in Seinfeld. She's in all kinds of stuff. And so, but but that's what I mean. That's the fun part is that you also have all these actors that would you know show up in um in so many things like like I don't know. If well, Grant ever... Kramer was the main guy. For, have you seen Hard Bodies? I've seen Hard Bodies, but it's been a long yeah. time though. It's I love it. It's one of my favorite '80s like that teen pseudo sex comedy thing. That's not really a sex comedy. That like that's one of the best ones I think. But yeah, she's or he's in that. Grant Kramer plays the main guy in that. He's really good in that too. Um, oh my goodness, it's yeah, it's it's so crazy. Like and I don't think we should mislead the audience. So a lot of these actors appear in all these movies because they're probably really cheap. Like, yeah. like yeah, um, yeah, it's not yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, well, it's more is, of a comfort thing to see them in all these things. Well, it's kind of like um, Reanimator. Uh, who was the Who are the two actors in Reanimator? Uh, goodness, uh, Chris, our producer, yeah. would would kill me if I didn't remember who these people were because he's a big fan. Um, Jeffrey Combs and Barbara mm-hmm. Crampton. 
you know, Jeffrey Combs, who would play like 50 million characters in Star Trek, but like Barbara Cranton, I think that they're making a new movie together again. It's like, it's fun to watch these people. And I think, you know, you look at the the conventions, the horror conventions, and there's such a tight community between, you know, between fans. Like your favorite movie, The Blob. The Blob has its own convention every year. Yeah. Blob Fest. Yeah, Blob Fest. Yeah. Blob Fest. But there's no, there's no Wizard of Speed and Time Fest. There's nothing. No, yeah. Yeah, the Bruce Campbell I think is like the most famous of those types of. He is like he's not a good actor, but people love um, seeing him in he's, these things. He's not a great actor, but he's the best Bruce Campbell. Yeah, he's exactly. And I think I think it's just like that's like the epitome. That's like like the quintessential version of these little uh, you know journeyman actors. Yeah, and like I said, they they did the work. They put in the heavy lifting. You know, you have someone like Bruce Campbell who's showing up. He's doing all his effects. He's doing all his stunts. He's doing everything for Evil Dead. He's getting himself hurt. And he shows up and he likes his fans and his fans like him. That's mm-hmm. that's a good relationship. And, yeah, you know, I don't get the feeling that, that Mike... Uh, <laughs> I don't get the feeling that Mike uh, Jitloff is that endearing to his fans. <laughs> but I do have the feeling that the Chiodos, and I also have the feeling that um, what's his face? Oh, we just I just mentioned his name a bunch of times. John Maserati. They do like their fans quite yeah. a bit, like especially John because you have one of his products. You have um, yeah. you have the vinyl for Killer Clowns. I didn't realize I didn't realize they had the Wizard of Speed and Time version. That's cool. I gotta get that. Ah oh, man, but then again, is anything surprising about this film? <laughs> <laughs> it's bright green though. That's the funny part. It's bright green. Yeah, yeah um, the the Killer Clowns one's pink. See, there's a theme going on here. You could you could decorate your house in Christmas colors. I really wish you could. I, I wish the audience could see some of the clips we're talking about. I know we're not a video podcast, but like I encourage everybody to go and watch. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can watch the whole movie online. No one's going to come and get you. Yeah. Like no one's going to come and break down your door and give you a. Even a, a at the end of strike. the movie, at the end of the movie, he says, um, "What does he say? Like show it to your friends. Like we promise we won't." care or something yeah you know you know it's funny the very last scene in the wizard of speed and time the very last scene is exactly the same scene from the muppet movie it's the exact mm-hmm. same scene. oh yeah like they're you, they're all in a studio watching the film and as the credits roll they're all talking and munching popcorn and having fun that's the exact same scene as the muppet movie exactly yeah, and it, you're right and i was writing about the muppets too in my notes how this kind of felt had that like muppets optimism at parts too like you were talking about well the muppets were also very very much a cynical hollywood production too remember yeah. and i think the best scene in that movie i told you i, I told you i love well we was one of the first episodes we ever did uh the scene with orson welles you know when orson welles just shows up at the end as the as he's like give them the rich and famous contract <laughs> you know because you know i mean orson welles hated hollywood too hated it i wonder if spielberg was thinking about that when he had john ford at the end of the fablemans oh goodness um the Fablemans. I mean, my you mean David my, Lynch. You mean my vote for the best movie of twenty twenty two? Yeah, where David Lynch plays John Ford. You mean with the Horizon line? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just wonder because it, it it was very reminiscent of the Orson Welles at the end of of uh, the Muppet movie. I would I would bet I I know that story's real. Like he's told that story before, but yeah, it, yeah. But as far as like how how it went down, I mean, probably. Like, yeah. I would love someone to ask Spielberg that. Because how do Spielberg work? Yeah, Spielberg's worked with the Muppets, right? Clearly he's worked with the Muppets. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember if he has or not. It, I, it doesn't sound familiar, but... It feels like if he hasn't, that's a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know they work with George Lucas all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. But then again, you know, that's Lucas. So, 
But um, I will say one thing, though. Here's my final thought. It was, it was fun watching The Wizard of Speed and Time again. I don't think I need to see it every day. <laughs> I think once every 15 years is good enough. But <clears throat> I was thinking about the 70s when Mike Jitloff was making these shorts, like the original shorts. <clears throat> and what was happening to Disney at the time is that Disney was sort of uh, discombobulating itself. Like, you know the story about Disney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you had the exodus. You had people like, like I said, Don Bluth and Tim Burton and, and even John Lasseter later on. They would just flee yeah. the studio and, you know, disaster movies. This was the Ron Miller era. It's Yeah, it's not a good era. It's like, it's... Like when you think of six seventies fashion and seventies cars, this was that era. Like really yeah. gaudy, like brown bell bottoms and and horrible looking cars. But um, one of my favorite movies of the seventies was Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh and, yeah, and you know R.I.P. Angela Lansbury, of course. But yeah, I love that movie. Um, and it's essentially like the spiritual sequel to Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene in that movie where they have special effects that are very similar to the special effects that Jitlop was doing at the time. You know, not so much stop motion, but like animatronics and, and motion stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I was just thinking to myself, there's something about that era that when you go into it, it's just, you know, the people that would the people that would leave Disney, the people that would go off to, to create what they call New Hollywood. I'm not talking Martin Scorsese. I'm not talking that. But like the special effects people, they yeah. really did. Like Spielberg's one of them. You know, Spielberg's one of them. George Lucas is one of them. You know, Tim Burton was one of them and everything. And they they really did leave their mark on Hollywood. And, they, and I think the films from the 70s and 80s hold up wonderfully, as flawed as they are, as flawed as they are. I don't think they need to be replaced. And um, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I just, there's just no room in there for Mike Jitloff. There's just no room in there for, <laughs> for that. I know that sounds fat because I don't know. I just, I just feel like, he just he was too he, cynical you know what if he if he had gotten rid of the like the just the the ranty uh like the anger if he had gotten rid of the anger in this movie i think maybe someone might have been knocking on his door and been like look i saw this and this was well, really cool there was there's a really uh depressing interview with him from like 1983 because apparently this movie was funded in 83 it took like five years to make okay and he talks about, oh, I'm going to get my chance. I'm going to have a good time. The audience is going to be great. And something seemed to happen to when he started filming and when he finished that just just eroded his enthusiasm for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And you could, and it's really sad. And because when yeah, you happens. when you watch the film, there's a fluidity to his effects. Like this man knows how to make something look fun. And I want to encourage, even if you don't want to watch the movie, watch the the short that comes from this movie it is it is what is it three minutes four minutes yeah i think it's three minutes yeah oh sorry hold on my alarm enough see yeah. exactly joy <laughs> but it's it's you watch it and the way the character bends and stretch it's like a cartoon right it's like a cartoon he bends yeah. and stretches he twinkles he looks at the camera he smiles it's joyful. even just putting like something back on the shelf he does like it like flies out of his hand he does like the yeah. reverse and you know exactly yeah. how he did this it's all it's yeah. all stop motion every bit of it's stop motion but it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's joyful. And frankly, I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but that's kind of all you need. Like, that's all you need from this is that joyfulness. And um, that's good enough for me. So, mm-hmm. but uh, final thoughts on Wizard of Speed and Time? Yeah, no, I, I, it was a pleasure to watch. I'm glad you suggested it. And um, I'd watch it again, maybe not a hundred times, but uh, <laughs> I definitely would watch it again. It was, uh, it was a fun one. It's even it's it's like oh you're talking about um, I'm 
trying to nail down why even though you know how the trick's done it's still fun but it's like only thing i can compare it to is you know how you like close one eye and then you open it and close the other eye and then like the like the room dances back and forth you Mm -hmm. know why it's happening but it's still fun to do well you know it's funny you you mentioned that like if you actually look at the the way sight works like your by optical vision it's Mm -hmm. funny because and i i'm not smart enough to explain this but your brain is being tricked like your brain is being tricked and you know that your brain is being tricked but you still cannot figure it out like there's some there is some magic in like the limitations of your brain which is really like the limitations of film that's why film is 24 frames a second you know because your eyes just can't really process it any better than that and you know it's fake you know it's not real but that's kind of what i think that's where the magic is like Mm -hmm. it's it's just it it's enjoying it's enjoying the effect and um and my final thought about Wizard is the soundtrack's really good. Like, the song is great. Like, the songs yeah. are great. So, and with that, final thoughts on Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, yeah. Killer Clowns, <laughs> another one of my favorites uh, from the 80s especially. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, if you watch this movie, if you're into anything that we were talking about and you haven't seen Killer Clowns, um, first of all, you should have watched it before listening to yes. this podcast. But Stop. Uh, Go watch it. Come back. <laughs> it's not too late. Um yeah, no, but Killer Clowns is great. I think it's it's one of the, I think it's the, like top three best production design of the '80s, at least '80s horror. Um, even you can make a case it's the best '80s horror as ter- in terms of production design. Um, I think Halloween Three is a good one too. Um, oh yeah, uh, no, no one yeah. ever gives that movie any credit. By the way, Halloween Three it's is the great. Best. It's the best Halloween movie. <sighs> that should have been the that should have been the template. Like Halloween should have been yeah. an anthology it series. To, it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love I love Halloween Three. Just bring back Michael Myers for the twentieth time. <sighs> Depressing. <laughs> yeah, it does not get better after the third movie. <laughs> no, and they, they know it too. They know they're just recycling. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, uh, I like I said, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a horror movie, but I don't know what I would call it. But I'll say it's yeah. it is a joyful piece of imagination that I think when people criticize, like they nitpick little things, I think they're missing the forest for the trees. Like it is not that type mm-hmm. of movie. It is not that exactly. type of movie. Well, yeah, when I first watched it, I was like criticizing every single piece of it, and now. I watch it and it's way more enjoyable just being able to sit back and enjoy it. I mean, that was like, well, 10, 15 years. and I, and, and it is my dearest wish that the, the franchise is coming back, by the way. Um, they yeah. deals with spirit Halloween. They have a game coming out. There's a new soundtrack coming out. Like, Oh yeah. I saw masks all last Halloween. Yeah. There uh, went to spirit and there were ma- like good masks, not even like the cheap ones. Just they had really good masks up on the wall. It would be so depressing if they made a sequel with all CG stuff. It would be so depressing. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, they, I don't think they would make it if it was like that. I don't know. But, or, you but, know you know, be worse? If they filmed it like with like really high quality like digital cameras so everything has that Netflix look. Wouldn't that be great? That yeah. washed out. That, so good. That washed out. Oh, man, oh, I wish. Jesus. No, I, thank I you. Want it to be, I want them to bring this back and it'd be like the greatest. I want it to revive... Like Top Gun, like I, I have a Top Gun Maverick dream for this sequel, <laughs> where it's just, it's like, it, it's, it's, it doesn't uh, undermine the first one, but it's just so good that it's like revives practical effects or something. I don't know. I'm romanticizing now, but that's my, that's my dream. I know the first one, I, I was talking to the guy at Spirit and I was like, man, you guys got Killer Clowns uh, mask up there. And he's like, yeah, this guy came in the other day and he had like a 12 year old son and his 12 year old son wanted the mm-hmm. mask and he bought it for Halloween and he was Killer Clowns. He was like, it was his favorite movie. 
So, yeah. I mean, I know the younger generations, I think, can watch that. And it's a good, I think it's a good entry-level horror movie even well, for, you know, uh, tweens, uh, you know, something like that. Well, you know what's really funny? Here's my final thoughts. Um, in the 1980s, every R-rated horror movie that had fun in it had a children's <laughs> cartoon show. Rambo. Rambo had a cartoon yeah. show. T- Robocop. Ghost- well, Ghostbusters was an R, but that had a oh. cartoon show. Oh, too. Toxic Avenger. Toxic Avenger. Oh, yeah. That's they called it Toxic Crusader, but a friggin' trauma yeah. film, right? Yeah. Like everything. That's, that, just, that's, that's the most that's crazy one, yeah. I'm surprised Killer Clowns never had one. You know, yeah, like... Video it, game, though. That's cool. Yeah, we'll see how the video game is. I mean... It's exciting until we see it, so we'll see. Yeah, but, um, yeah. This thing's beg. This thing was begging to be a franchise, I think, at least marketed in some fashion. Nowadays, it's, it has like Funko Pops and stuff. Now you can get some pretty cool figures. Well, I they just even hope- remade the they remade the little blaster gun too. Well, I just hope they don't do what they did, like something like Garbage Pail Kids, you know, where they they rebooted it into this lame, horrible version of what it was, you know, like. You know, there's a movie that needs to be rebooted too. At some point, we'll talk about Garbage Pill Kids. <laughs> Garbage Pill Kids was never good though. It was based. I was rooted in something that was just mm-hmm. ridiculous. I have a, I have a, I have a much bigger history with Garbage Pill Kids than you might, might guess. Oh, okay. So, so. I, I don't want to offend you then. <laughs> oh no, you want to offend? No, there's no way you could offend me. On we that. should talk. We should talk about the Garbage Pill Kids movie, and that'd be a fun podcast. I got to tell you something though. The Garbage Pill Kids. Um, not to not to leave this podcast on the Garbage Pill Kids, but the Garbage Pill Kids is fascinating it's fascinating it is not a good movie let's just say that out of the way it is not a good movie but it is fat like a train wreck you can't look away yeah we should pair it with like my pet monster what was that other one oh yeah my pet monster yeah oh man the 80s the 80s uh, i don't know what was i what was i watching uh i saw this episode of the simpsons the other day i think it was in homer oh it was a stop motion yeah it's brand new episode of the simpsons uh not a good episode by the way they don't make good Simpsons anymore, but they make good opening couch gags. And mm-hmm. Homer gets sucked into his couch into the 1980s, and it's all stop motion. And he <laughs> and he comes again, and he comes across Alf. Right, this was like oh, last yeah. week. And the, who's the guy who did Alf? The original guy who did Alf, um, like the voice. Yeah, he's back as Alf. Oh, cool. And he's like, and, he's, and Homer goes, "Oh, Alf." He's like, "You were canceled too soon." And he's like, <laughs> "No, Homer, I was canceled at just the right time." <laughs> He got the the, the series finale. Well, in, in uh, retrospective series finale, <laughs> retroactive series finale, Alf gets abducted by the FBI, and then the series gets canceled, and there's no they, they resolution. A, they made a TV movie. It was after that. Yeah, I think so. I think what like he was trying to get out of the the FBI, but uh, that's oh, a, okay, okay. that's a story for another day. But um, but it was funny though. I just thought so if you like stop motion, watch watch that. Yeah. But anyway, I think I think that's it. I think we're done. Yeah. We did it. So we did it. Yeah, we did it. We uh, we met our dream, dream, dream. So, but you've been listening to the movie time from Popzara podcast. This has been Nathan Evans, managing editor of Popzara.com. Not a clown. And on the other end is Mister. I don't know what you are anymore. I don't know. I don't know what your title is, but you're awesome. Whatever you are, that's Ethan Bram. Ethan, thank you once again, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks. And we've been talking about The Wizard of Speed and Time. We've been talking about Killer Clowns from Outer Space, both from 1988, both movies you got to see. And we will put links when we can. And with that, we will see everybody next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Pop Zara Podcast.
Remember to like, follow, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app or service.